Welcome back to part two of episode 51, where Rob and I are covering all of the dApps from Neo, Ethereum, and more, coming either fully or partially to EOS. As usual, if you like the video, like it, please subscribe, hit that bell, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Also, please support my sponsor, Cypherglass, by voting for them using your favorite wallet or block explorer. A project just announced a new uh, initiative this week, and it's a big Ethereum project. Kyber Network oh, yeah. announces what's called Waterloo, which is the EOS to Ethereum bridge. Yeah. So for, for those uh, who weren't part of the 2017 big rush of the Ethereum DEXs, <laughs> um, Kyber Network and ZRX both basically came out at the same time and they were like the Ethereum darlings for decentralized exchanges. Yeah. But you think of what you need for an exchange, you need these fast, lightning fast, like very low or zero fee transactions. Yeah. It's just, when you were talking about all these side chains and like all these- Batching transactions. Hacky and, ways to, oh, yeah. to make things scale, that's what projects like Kyber and probably what ZRX are dealing with and probably dozens, if not hundreds of Ethereum projects that we don't even think about or know about that they're, they're running into these problems, but yeah. we can assume they are. So this EOS Ethereum bridge is, and I, I quote this from their blog post, the Waterloo bridge will enable cross-chain communication between the two blockchains and will enable the transfer of assets from Ethereum to EOS and vice versa. Such cross-chain interoperability is a long-standing ambitious goal in the blockchain ecosystem in the last several years with potential applications in finance, scalability, and privacy. Yeah. So I like how this project, I don't think they're moving to EOS. They're, it sounds like they're trying to build upon something like what Bancor X has been able to accomplish with this cross-chain liquidity between tokens. Right. Um, but they're taking it a step further. They're eliminating... Um, the central party, like the bank core working the, the relays, they're trying to make a trustless relay. Right. And I don't think it's completely done yet, but it just stands out so much to me because there's just so much about this that, that like highlights it for me. And the fact that it's Kyber. So you were part of the ICO bull run. So is I, so is a lot of our uh, viewers and listeners. Yeah. Um, during that run, there is always issues of, people fraudulently being added as advisors to different ICO projects yeah. to give them credibility. That hey, we, uh, we just added Vitalik to our project over here. Please buy our coin. They it's going to go up percent So at the time in 2017, Vitalik was getting added to projects as an advisor that he didn't agree to, probably yep. because some guy saw him at a conference and shook his hands like, we're partners. Yeah, or they have a photo of the, the founder with Vitalik. That was always the, the typical uh, one. <laughs> so I remember this uh, distinctively. Um, Vitalik put a tweet out and I'm sure I'll have a graphic by the time we publish this. Yeah. Um, he said, I only advise for two projects, Omise Go and Kyber. Wow. So it doesn't mean Vitalik's involved with this, but he only right. puts his name on two projects. Oh, absolutely. This is a legit Ethereum project. I never invested in it, but I, I had a big community at one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know where they're at now. Well, and what I think is so cool about it being a two-way token relay is, you know, Chios to 21, you're, you're going one way. Bancor X, I think, lets you kind of go both ways. Mm -hmm. But with this specifically EOS to ETH, it's going to open the door for people like Civic to actually support both Ethereum and EOS. Back to, yes. Absolutely. They can they can say, hey, you have our CDC token. You want to transfer it to EOS? Go ahead. You'll get a one-to-one. -one. The ones on Ethereum will be burned. And when you transfer it back, you can swap it back if you want. Or you can keep it on EOS because it's faster. They're very far along on the roadmap. They ICO'd back in June 2017, and I think they're working on identity solutions for a year prior to that. Hmm. 
But just knowing that they're already partnered and integrated with Effects AI, who was the Neo project coming to EOS, yeah. if they want to keep that as their identity layer, that means they're probably going to have to try to port Civic over somehow. Yep. Um, just common sense says if you're an identity solution, it makes the most sense that if you could be cross-blockchain, that's obviously the way to reach the most users. Oh, absolutely. And adoption. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that he's an advisor on um, the Tapa Talk project. Yeah. And... Uh, but an interesting note about Vitalik. Vitalik is also, or he used to be listed as a partner on the Fenbushi Capital website. Fenbushi Capital invested in Block One, who obviously makes EOSIO. They did the whole EOS token sale, everything like that. Recently, and he was up as a partner on the website for more than a year while the whole token sale was going on. So he was sort of hedged into EOS in some kind of way, or rather hedged mm. into Block One. Now that's since been removed. Now he's just an advisor to Fenbushi Capital. But pretty interesting. interesting. I mean, Dan's offered Vitalik a job at Block One before. Yeah, I know. So he's, he's got a job for him. He's got a project for him. I mean, he could rebuild Ethereum in yeah. a single smart contract we hosted on eos vitalik <laughs> ethereum can live but it will live on eos i mean think about it though that that's not too far off brendan bloomer when he was on one of his tweet sprees he's like come bitcoin you can oh, live yeah. on the eos network i mean it's already been proven with uh, you know albeit a centralized peg of something like ebtc mm -hmm. you're running bitcoin transactions essentially on eos and then when you want to claim your bitcoin again you send it through the relay and boop there's your bitcoin so without diving into the technicals i want to i want to continue talking about kyber a little bit yeah so they, they talk about uh, their future work, but in the last paragraph of them ex describing like what they still need to do to make this work, they um, basically gave credit where credit is due to EOS. So we're so used to seeing the FUD, like the mudslinging, like I, yeah. Ethereum's crap, EOS is crap, not a blockchain is a blockchain, who cares? Right. But now we're starting to see a major project like, like Kyber. So this is one of their, their top projects, and they're actually giving some credit here. I'm going to read the paragraph for those listening, and I'll have the graphic on screen for those on YouTube. In the long run, we plan to use such a bridge to transfer assets and tokens between Ethereum and EOS and enable a trading activity on both platforms using the advantages of each platform. For example, the EOS chain has an advantage of enabling higher frequency trading due to its higher transaction per second rate while Ethereum is considered more secure by bigger parts of the blockchain community and currently offers more advanced financial primitives, for example, DeFi projects. Right. So basically they're sticking to like, we're more secure. And you, you do sacrifice decentralization for scalability in some cases. And it, it's just finding that balance of what is secure enough and what's slow it depends on what metrics you're looking at also because if you look at a metric like the number of people that would have to collude in order to you know harm the chain mm -hmm. it's actually much more on on uh, eos than it is on ethereum or bitcoin ethereum and bitcoin both 51 percent controlled by three to five mining pools so if those three to five mining <laughs> pools got together and said hey let's 51 percent oh, attack this thing they could on eos it takes 15 out of 21 so you could say it's you know, three to five times more decentralized than Ethereum or Bitcoin. Man, I, I say one sentence that's like <laughs> not negative on ETH and I got EOS flooded. Oh, it doesn't have to be negative on ETH. No, I, I just, I basically what I wanted to do is I don't want to argue if it's more or less secure because yeah. that doesn't matter. The, the thing that I wanted to point out is they're acknowledging that EOS is doing something good. Oh, absolutely. And it must be secure enough that they trust it for their trading. Oh, definitely. So they could hang on and say that we think that proof of work in Ethereum, we need this level of sovereign grade security for these reasons. So we're going to keep it for this 
but we're okay with doing a bunch of other stuff on EOS. That's right. great. Oh, absolutely. I want, I want all blockchain platforms to succeed yeah. because if any of them go to zero, that's terrible for everybody. Yeah, well, and I should, I should make a note, honestly. People don't realize I used to love Ethereum. In 2016 and 2017, I was like, let's go ETH, let's <laughs> yeah. go. I was buying as much of it as I could. I saw the whole ICO run up. I was like, Ethereum is the future. And I ran into the same issues that these dApp developers running into with a, a transaction the not going promises, through. Oh, my the goodness. Delays, hey, the we're going to fix the scalability. Speed. Scalability didn't get fixed. Hey, we have a new fix. Oh, no, it actually doesn't work. Just promise after promise that didn't come through. And I got to the point then where I saw the the EOS announcement video essentially at Consensus 2017 of Dan and Brendan explaining the issues that I had run into personally. And I was like, oh, this this makes so much sense. I saw the light of EOS and I, I moved over to that platform. So I used to love Ethereum. I still wish them the best, but it's clear that they're just not doing what it takes to scale their platform. And I'm on the, the boat I mean, that's scaling. Within the Ethereum ecosystem, it's undeniable that they've got an incredibly strong and vast developer network. Absolutely. Very smart engineers, that's very their- strong entrepreneurs. Yep. And you got to think of it from a human perspective. So if, if you've gotten this far on Ethereum and you're basically crossing your fingers and you're still believing in this roadmap and timeline of everything, but like in the back of your mind, you have to be like looking elsewhere. And the, the, the more friction that gets removed for reasons to not migrate to EOS completely or like with this bridge, you could be on both. Just support both. That, Absolutely. That's who could argue with that. You have more active users on EOS than you have on Ethereum. Why, as a developer running a business, would you not want to target those additional active users? You can still target ETH. You can still have those users. You can still use it for all the things that it's great at. But at the same time, you can target the users on EOS and really take advantage of the benefits of that software. So we're removing friction. If you're yeah. on Ethereum and you want to have some high frequency transaction speeds, but you need to be super, super, super secure on something else. Yeah. Pretty soon here, Kyber's going to have a tool that lets you do both. That's so cool. Um, So cool. And to wrap up the Kyber, um, they gave some examples of related work of people who have also done Ethereum to EOS relays and vice versa. Right. They mentioned Bancore X and they said what the difference was. And they also mentioned um, Everipedia. And I reminded you of this before we recorded. They actually made a two-way relay before they were even announced as Neo's VC yeah, partner. Well, they were like unknown at the time. That was sort of the big news coming from Everipedia when they first sort of came out as, hey, we're building on EOS. It was, mm-hmm. by the way, we're going to make a relay to bring any project from Ethereum over to EOS. And I guess they maybe kept the tool internally. Now we have other people like Sense. Shout out to Crystal Rose and Ben mm-hmm. Sigmund from uh, Shios for putting that all together. Um, but we really have tools for it now, so Everipedia doesn't need to release but, it. I didn't know about that. Yeah. I mean, maybe after you reminded me, but I never looked into it. I looked at the GitHub. It was made like 12 months ago. Yeah. Um, But the team at Kyber in their blog post, it seems like maybe it worked. But the um, reasons that they said it's not a good solution Mm -hmm. was a proof of concept relay between Ethereum EOS and EOS. Ethereum and EOS, uh, was implemented by Everipedia as a native C++ reference code. However, it suffers from heavy computation and storage RAM costs, which makes it impractical. I'm juggling, I'm messing up all my words. Which makes it impractical to run on EOS mainnet. Let's go to our next topic. Oh, that brings us oh. to liquid dApps. Mm. Obviously, RAM has been an issue on the mainnet. Right now, it's not a huge issue. If you want to make a new account, it's about 0.16 EOS. That's going to cost you, uh, what is that right now? I don't know. It's 250, 260. 60 cents. Well, 360. I don't know where we're at. 60 cents. Less than a dollar to make an account on the mainnet. You can still download uh, a bunch of different apps and, and make an account through them pretty easily. Um 
But what's so interesting about Liquid Dabs is that they're claiming to solve this RAM problem with something like VRAM. Mm -hmm. And what VRAM essentially does is it turns RAM into just a cache layer. So all of the data that you need accessible immediately sort of gets cached in RAM. But then you can store that two terabytes of data that Everipedia has. You can store all of the data that you need for Effect.ai or any other platform on VRAM, this sort of uh, you know hard drive hard of the US mainnet, yeah. essentially, and then just cache the important parts on RAM. You can swap in, in and out of the cache as you want, and that should dramatically reduce the cost for DApp developers and allow them to build things like the next Facebook on EOS, the next Everipedia mm -hmm. on EOS. All of these different things will then be possible. So the reason we're talking about Liquid Apps is because the DApp network launched uh, yeah. this past Tuesday. Yeah. And I've been following it very closely. I'll ask you the same question I asked you last week. Where does Cypherglass stand as being a DSP, which uh, for those watching, it's the the data centers, the nodes that run the network. Yeah. Just like a block producer runs EOS, the DSPs run this DAP layer, which we'll get into a little bit more. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, so DSP, DAP service provider, Cypherglass right now is still kind of evaluating the network. We have a, a developer right now who's building a test app that uses VRAM to kind of test out the system. We obviously want to make sure that even though the team behind mm -hmm. uh, the whole Liquid Apps network is incredibly talented and have built other great projects, um, we still want to make sure it works before mm -hmm. we come out and support it. So that's what we're evaluating now. Will we run a DSP? Maybe, but we need to, to sort of flesh out a couple things on the business side first as well. Uh, there's some interesting quirks with the model. Which I, are... I will point out that there haven't been a lot of uh, very public announcements as DSP, so I don't really know how many there are currently. And I also don't know how many dApps are using the VRAM yet. Yeah. So I'm waiting to see the first projects announced and put their blog post out saying, here's yeah. the feature we just released and we couldn't do it before because it would have been bloody expensive and exactly. now it's cheap. I'm looking forward to that, but I haven't seen it yet. Well, and I think it's going to take some time. You know, Just like we're playing around with it for the first time, now that it's live as mm -hmm. of Tuesday, there are developers playing around with it for the first time too. So, But what I, what I wanted to say was that the teams that have announced themselves as DSPs are very good and experienced teams. So the first ones that I saw announced was the team at Airdrops DAC. Yeah. And they've already basically been using, um, they own a bunch of RAM. Yeah, they're incredibly well positioned in that regard. And they've been <laughs> like leasing it out on this kind of off, I don't know how they manage it because you can't delegate resources on mainnet like you can yeah. with CPU and net. So you have to handle RAM up until now a little bit differently. Right. So they're perfectly positioned um, because one of the, the solutions that the DAP network provides is way cheaper airdrops. Yeah. So before, I don't know the exact dollar amount, but let's use a number, $15,000 it may have costed you in RAM to drop a token to every EOS wallet. Right. So now with VRAM, I don't know what the cost will be, but it's going to be orders of magnitude cheaper. Oh, absolutely. So this is a service that um, Airdrops DAC was already providing, and now they were the first DSP. And then the second DSP that I saw announced uh, op like very publicly is EOSinfra.io. Oh, interesting. And they're led by the team behind EOS Asia. Oh, okay. And I don't know the team on a personal level that well, but I, they've got great reputations. Um, EOS Asia, I think they played a big part in like Pixel Masters, the, right. the EOS Go. They created it essentially. Yeah, they, they are, are currently managing and running EOS Go and they have a lot of other projects. But EOSinfra.io, as far as what I um, perceive DSPs looking like as a service provider, they, they look like they're in a class of their own as far as like professionalness and the huh. services they offer. They're basically a one-stop shop. And I think this is what all DSPs are going to be. So I'm speaking of EOSinfra, but I think all DSPs could offer similar services. And yeah. they're basically a one-stop shop. So if you want to build a DAP, you don't have to worry about 
anything else. They have like um, service packages in US dollars and it tells you how many different calls to their APIs you get and oh, wow. all of the different resources. And this is just adding extra um, services that they could offer to yeah. their users. Well, what's so cool about this is that it's making it so much more like a traditional development environment. Mm -hmm. You know, there are development tools like EO Studio coming out that make it easy to spin up a local version of EOS and sort of test your apps. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to building things like randomness into something, which I didn't know until today was actually mm -hmm. one of the potential things they're including. All of these different things that you would need to include in your DAP, like the storage or randomness, or what was the other example that they had? Um, they have web oracles, history oracles, node services. Absolutely. So there, there's so much that can be built into the system that will make the lives of DAP developers easier. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can do to make building DAPs on EOS easier, the better that we're all going to be. I, I can't wait to see um, the ideas that people come up with to offer yeah. services. So as a DSP, think of a DSP as just an independent business building a business model on top of the DAP network. Yep. And each DSP could offer different services. So recently the full history nodes have been um, relevant news in the EOS ecosystem because it uh, became known we have five full history nodes on the main net running a specific version of it then we have other solutions like Defuse and things right. like that. But it seemed like the biggest objection to the full history node was it's extremely expensive and it's it's not the most efficient way of doing the work. Right. Um, but with the DAP network, a DSP could offer a full history node service and the cost to use it as a DAP developer is there's a, an amount of DAP tokens you need to stake to that DSP. Hmm. So every DSP creates their own packages. So you could offer whatever you want. Maybe Rob says for a thousand DAP tokens, if you stake them to me, I will give you this many API calls of this service per month. I will give you this much RAM alloc VRAM allocated per month. And I will let you use my Oracle services. I right. will let you use my randomness provider if you're a casino because coming up with random numbers, it's even more trustless if you're outsourcing it to a DSP yeah. to do your number randomness. So many opportunities that I don't think we've thought of all of the ideas yet, but I, I think Tal and Benny at... Uh, Liquid apps probably have thought of a lot of them. I'm Maybe sure, I hope yeah. they're working with teams on top of this stuff. Um, but free um, account creation, because the biggest cost with creating an account is actually the RAM you need. That's what I'm most curious about. I can't wait until they release more details about that, especially now being so deep in the account creation game with the EOS name service. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, oh, is there some way that we could integrate that into EOS name service and maybe give people free accounts that are still custom in some kind of mm -hmm. way? So we'll see. So... The other stuff, it's on the roadmap. So whenever DAP Network launched, um, they put out a blog saying, hey, we launched. And they say on the roadmap, they have DAP lending. So to lend your DAP tokens. So basically, it's kind of like we always hypothesize the EOS token model turning into where it becomes a rental model because right. it costs too much to own property. Right. Eventually, the, the DAP Network might be like that. Maybe not anytime soon. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's such an interesting, I don't know if we want to dive too deep in on the sort of speculation here, but it's so interesting. There's so many variables to this DAP network. Mm -hmm. Does the technology work? I think, yes, we'll figure that out for sure very soon. Um, but again, how much value does this potentially take away from the EOS token? Or is it going to be more of a symbiotic relationship where because they're enabling more people to build ultimately on the EOS mainnet, mm -hmm. does that also simultaneously increase the value of the EOS token, even though most developers are then buying DAP tokens to run their application? So there's so much game theory involved in this. It's it's really kind of insane, all of the different variables. And I've been racking my brain. Mm -hmm. I haven't bought any yet, but I'm considering it in the future. I just have a lot more research to do to kind of 
wrap my head around what's going to happen mm-hmm. at the end of this year-long cycle. And, and even before that, as they release other products like vCPU and the supposed IBC solution and so much more. So what, what you just described is the million-dollar question, right? Yeah. Um, you as Cypherglass, you're one of the strongest proponents to the mainnet out of everyone, almost yeah. almost to a fault how much you love <laughs> the US mainnet. And it, and it makes sense because we've seen all of these sister chains launch and not get community support and yeah. fail. It's clear when you look at all of these things that there really isn't community support for these forks. It's a subset of communities. Yeah, they were very clever in marketing themselves and I have to give them props for this. Like the marketing side of my brain is like, oh, that mm. was genius. They marketed these as side chains and people thought, oh, this is the scaling solution. I should buy some Telos, I should buy some Warbly, I should buy some Boss, which mm-hmm. I think so many people already forgot about. <laughs> um, but when you look at the actual usage statistics, the actual claim statistics, mm-hmm. Warbly and Telos, for example, less than 3% of all accounts claimed it. And you have to imagine a, a percentage of those 3% are only claiming it to then sell the tokens. And now both tokens have less than $5,000 a, a day, I think, a 24-hour trading volume compared to the almost $2 billion a day with EOS. So they're really in totally different categories. And I think the community is kind of waking up to, oh, we can build all of these solutions on the EOS That's... mainnet. We can build free accounts on the EOS mainnet. We can solve the RAM issue, the CPU issue. All of it can be solved on the mainnet rather than splintering out into all these forks with separate tokens that have horrible distributions. So that's the value I see. So we, we talked about this before we recorded is how is the DAP network going to affect the price right. of the EOS token? Because... It's a well-known fact that most block producers operate at a break-even point of roughly $4. And that number could go a little bit lower or higher, depending on staff size and infrastructure, a lot of factors. But we all want the token price to go up. Mm -hmm. And that's one value of this virtual RAM is. So when the network first launched, RAM and expensive RAM was the number one topic. Because one, token price was high. Yeah. And um, the developers weren't making the most efficient contracts either. And it just caused all these issues. So that was like the bottleneck. Mm -hmm. And now the token price is so cheap and and the RAM is less scarce. So it's like no one's really talking about it right now. But what happens if the EOS token price goes up to six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty dollars again? Yeah. Then all of the sudden, all things being equal, the RAM price is an issue again. Oh yeah. I mean at four dollars now, or let's call it four for easy math. It, with you know 60 cents worth of fees to create an account if we go to 40 dollars, suddenly that's a six dollar fee to create an account which is mm-hmm. really kind of unsustainable at a certain point so having things exactly. like liquid apps to allow us to make free accounts and then hey you've accrued enough value in your game or whatever mm-hmm. it is you're playing now you can make your own real account on the mainnet i think that is crucial for mass adoption of this system and so there's that so that the vram makes sense yeah because even if it's not I think it is mission critical for certain types of applications, Definitely. but some of the more simple ones that are running on the mainnet right now, it, it'll save the money, but we're talking right. like tens of thousands of dollars, which is no like chump change, yeah. but that's what they're going to save immediately. But long-term it, it, it's helping. We talked about the history nodes. So now there could be a monetization uh, strategy behind running that history node because there's no rule in the constitution or in the future uh, um, user agreement that might pass there, there's no rule that says you have to run any of this stuff yeah. so no one's doing anything wrong by not running it but some people benefit if 
it is being run by more people. And now there's this option of monetization through the DAP network to run different services like that. Maybe you want to run a price oracle yeah. so that um, DEXs could use you for, for a price feed for all of the centralized exchanges and they trust you. Well, and that's one thing that I don't think people are realizing. When it comes to a DSP, anybody can launch a DSP. I think block producers are maybe a little bit more well positioned, at least initially. initially. But you can choose whatever services you want. If I only want to run a price feed oracle and that's mm -hmm. all I want to do, or if I only want to run a random net number generator service or some other kind of oracle or whatever it is, I can just do that. Yep. And I can say, hey, stake to me. You're going to get that aspect from me. Oh, you want storage? You're going to go to somebody else. And it's a business model that could work. You, yeah. If you could market like any other business and yeah. get an audience to stake their tokens to you and you offer a good service that's on the same level as everyone else offering the same service, that's what a business is as Absolutely. far as I know. And that's really what, what it's going to come down to is good marketing, good good quality services on the back end once you, know, you bring people in with that marketing, of course. But being able to sign on dApps onto your platform as a DSP is going to be crucial for the success of an individual DSP. Obviously, the whole DAP network and EOS will be fine, regardless of whether those D DSPs drop out or not. But it's going to be interesting to watch. Do you guys want to see an everything EOS DSP? Yeah, maybe. Oof, maybe. I don't maybe. know. Maybe Peter Peter K. Man, he, he him and I. That's very true. With uh, your support here, um, so IBC is on the roadmap. I think you uh, mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, so you, you have this DAP layer that just sits, so you have the EOS layer, then the DAP layer is sitting on top of it, but then you could have like other EOS chains like in parallel and the DAP layer kind of like is overarching to all of it. So oh, it kind yeah. of facilitates IBC just, just not knowing much about it. It makes sense. The way I understand it is that it, it's kind of like shared memory across multiple chains. So you could have... Um, you know, a shared ledger across EOS and a bunch of native sidechains that all kind of help to scale the mainnet horizontally. And that's really what they're going for. Right now on the mainnet, we've been scaling it vertically, you know, increasing the CPU capacity, increasing CPU efficiency, things like that. But when we can scale it horizontally and go outward, that's when we hit the mass adoption moment of now you can host a decentralized oh, yeah. Facebook on EOS versus, you know, a smaller game like Dice or something to that effect. Uh, so with that and the free accounts, the IBC, so all of these problems potentially getting solved. And yeah. like you said, it, it's a business model for non-block producers. So whenever they announced the launch of the DAP network, they targeted the BPs because one, they know the EOS IO ar architecture and infrastructure better than anybody else. Yeah. So they don't need to hire people, which is an initial cost. Mm -hmm. And they most likely know how to scale up their infra. If they needed to add more nodes, they know exactly how to do that. They replicate probably what they already have. They run a different set of software. Right. Uh, so they already have all of the pieces in place. They just need to maybe invest in a little bit more hardware. Exactly. But they don't need to buy more staff necessarily. So mm -hmm. that's why they were the easiest uh, people to, to approach first. And going back to the token price, while we're in a bear market here, um, a lot of block producers are operating at a loss. And that's okay for a lot of businesses. I don't think uh, Uber's made a profit yet. Yeah. Like there's a lot of businesses that oh, are absolutely. lost these, but it's the long-term plan here. Yep. But so it's another opportunity. Um, going back to the sister chains and the failed forks, I think a lot of the reasons that a lot of high reputation block producers supported them had to do with money and revenue. Yeah. It, it's a, another revenue stream. You're getting block rewards of some other token. I and mean, unfortunately for them, it didn't really work out because there's no liquidity on any of those chains right now for them to actually pull those rewards out. So if anything, it might have actually cost them more money in jumping in these other chains. And that's part of the reason why we've been so adamant on the mainnet, mainnet exclusive. Learning experience, though. Oh, absolutely. And nobody knew, you know, nobody can predict the future ever. Nobody knew mm -hmm. if, you know, maybe people would suddenly start building their apps on Telos or suddenly start building apps on Warbly, but clearly they didn't. And clearly there was not a ton of community interest in actually claiming those things. Um, so it didn't work out in this case, but you know, 
Who knows what the, the future will hold? I, I, I keep forgetting to get to back to my original point. We're, we're going to get to how it adds value to the token, EOS token. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I have one more thing, and that's non... We talked about non-block producers. Airdrops DAC, yeah. they were not a block producer before, but they had infrastructure in place, and they had technical talent in place, and they knew EOS IO. And a ton of RAM. And a ton of RAM. <laughs> so like, it's an opportunity for that. If you could run um, traditional architecture or maybe you've mined before did another dpos uh node somewhere else you probably have this skill set it's just a matter of uh competing with everyone else on speed and efficiency and price yeah and it's a business model so it's, it's great absolutely more more ways there in income it goes back to the mturk and the more way we can make more ways we could make money outside of the traditional financial system the better oh absolutely so back to what i tried getting to 10 minutes ago yeah token price on eos so do you know exactly how many orders of magnitude cheaper, um, let's say like one byte of RAM is, or one byte of VRAM on the DAP network would be compared to like a kilobyte or a byte of RAM on EOS? No, and that's a stat that other people have been asking for. Like show us, it's hey, this is the wait and a, see thing. Yeah, we don't even know the token price yet because of the the token distribution model. It's going to We know the, the uh, price for round one, which was 0.013 EOS per DAP token. So I think it was mm -hmm. a... $46 million valuation on the overall network, about 1.3% of the total uh, EOS network. So mm -hmm. pretty interesting. So let's just throw out a number. Mm -hmm. Want to say that um, a kilobyte of VRAM is 100 times cheaper? Do we want to just use that number? That's That seems fair. And I think it could even be cheaper than that. If you look at the... The initial specifics for VRAM, they're saying potentially unlimited storage. So you can imagine what they can cram into RAM. Uh, just for clarification, I'm just using this number 100. Yeah, not not a real stat. <laughs> I, I just not I, I, I need a base here. Yeah. So what that means is, um, if I could buy a thousand kilobytes, so a megabyte mm -hmm. of VRAM, for the same cost in EOS equivalent, swap swapping for the DAP token, as I could with um, a hundred times less EOS. Right. That means that one EOS token, if I sold it for DAP network VRAM, I could potentially get a um, hundred times more resources right. for my money. But then the, the question comes up, but then they're selling their EOS token for a DAP token. So who's holding the EOS tokens? Right. The DSPs hold the EOS tokens. Yeah. So if you're a DSP, I, I said you have to have experience in infrastructure, but you also have to have a lot of mainnet resources. You can't be running other people's RAM and CPU if you don't have a bunch of RAM and CPU of your own. Yeah. So that's who's going to own the tokens. That's who's going to be buying the token off these DAP builders who don't, they still need to own EOS. Yeah. They just don't need to have as much. And I, I will argue, that were they really owning EOS if they were owning RAM on EOS? Oh, no. I mean, so, totally separate token. Exactly. Yeah. So we're not even talking an equivalent here of EOS for VRAM. We're talking RAM for VRAM. Right. Well, and right now it's in an interesting position where VRAM has launched, but vCPU has not. Mm -hmm. And they seem to have no plans for VNet because net is really not yeah. an issue on EOS. Um, but right now, as a developer, you need a DAP token for VRAM. But then mm -hmm. you also need the EOS token for CPU on the network and net on the network. Supposedly, once vCPU comes out, assuming it works, mm -hmm. then you still need the EOS token in some capacity for net. Maybe mm -hmm. they build that in in the future or something, but you'll still need it. And the EOS token and the EOS network as a whole is still what makes all of this work and will not go away. It'll just be interesting to see kind of how the market values the two. Mm -hmm. Does the DAP network token cannibalize a lot of that value? Does it 
you know, like I said earlier, does it have a symbiotic relationship where they both go up? Only time will tell. I think that this is going to become like a fan favorite in the US community. It's just going to take a few champions. And when I say champions, I'm talking major ES projects that everyone adores and respects already. Everpedia is a great example. And they're going to come out with a blog post and they're mm -hmm. going to say, we were finally able to launch this feature because it wasn't possible before. Yeah. That's what's going to lead to a larger adoption on EOS mainnet. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Everpedia, to try to put it in perspective and give you guys some scale, if Everpedia tried to store their two terabytes of data on the mainnet, first of all, they couldn't. But if they took up the full... 80 gigs, I think it is at right now, of RAM, it will cost them millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Like that's not, you're not gonna spend millions of dollars to store it when they're just storing it on IPFS right now for a much lower cost. Mm -hmm. Effectively, VRAM is IPFS. It just bundles it into this nice token, super easy to use for developers. They give you some other frameworks and SDKs and things like that. But Everypedia could logically make this switch. I, I agree. And it's just so exciting to me because um, Block One actually put out a, uh, I don't know if it was a white paper or a short paper back in September 2018, 27, no, 2017. Okay. And it was on EOSIO storage. Oh, yeah. And we just really haven't heard anything about it yet. Dan's, yeah. I think, addressed it once or twice and just said it's like really far off. Like there's a lot of other priorities ahead of it. I think what, what Dan and the Block One team have realized is that there are certain solutions being developed by the EOS community that they don't need to develop. And I think the token relay was a good example of that. They don't need to build a token relay. Now that we kind of have this hard drive of EOS, assuming it all works, mm -hmm. This may be that EOSIO storage just under yes. the DAP network. How, how far off would that be to offer something similar to a cloud storage where you could store like images or HTML files and things like that? We're very close. I mean, you can store that on IPFS now. So there's no reason why you can't store that on, so on the DAP network. So it's just expanding the DAP network services. Maybe the DSP needs to develop a way to do this so that you could store your whole website or whole web application, including the image files and everything on right. like this IPFS system. Yeah. And the, the cool thing with the DSPs and how the DAP network works is it's decentralized because like whatever services Rob's offering, let's say I'm using his Oracle services, his price feed, um, whatever. I could stake to Rob and I could stake to as many other DSPs as I want globally that are offering the same services. And I'm pretty sure that the network, I, I don't know how they're chosen, but uh, um, if it's by speed and like the shortest latency or what, but it's distributed. So if we're talking IPFS and storing my files and I don't, if Rob shuts his node down, I don't want to lose all my files. So I could stake to like six different people exactly. and know that all of them have backups. So they're all sharing the same distributed Yeah. If IPFS. you stake to multiple ESPs, the way I understand it, you're essentially just mirroring that content across mm -hmm. the ESPs for redundancy, which is something everybody wants. You know, if you're on AWS, you spin up a node on AW or on uh, Amazon West, you spin up one on East then you have a backup. It's, they will be very similar on the DAP network. So that's great. Like we talked about the history nodes and what if they all went down at the, like, and yeah. they all shut down because no one could afford them. Well, th this will assure that there's one, a free market like costs and price and p price people were willing to pay. And yeah. The free market will tell us what they're willing to pay. But the other thing is like, you don't have to worry about if there's only one left, like you could, Hopefully there'll be more than one. You could just stake to more than one. If one of them goes down, yeah. you have three other ones or however many more you want. You well, can choose so, how decentralized it is. 100%. And what's so interesting about this is that this is honestly, it seems like a free market solution for scalability. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you want to scale? You can have it right now. You can wait for the future and maybe multi-threading will help you mm -hmm. out. Maybe the, this native IBC will help you out. But if you want scaling right now, assuming it works again, mm -hmm. you got to use the DAP network. I mean, if you look at the team that that is building this whole network, the whole Liquid Apps network and all the services and products that they're providing, 
uh, I believe uh, Tal, I think is his name. Tal. Anyway, the, the lead guy, the, the sort of super smart tech guy behind this is the same guy that wrote the RAM trading algorithm that's built Bancor. into EOSIO. Mm-hmm. So they have a history with Block One. They have a history with Dan and all these people. It wouldn't surprise me if they've been in communication with Block One yeah. about this development, about how Block One is going to use this in their upcoming social media app and mm-hmm. so much more. Yeah, and that communication might have just been a heads up. Hey, we're building this. Yep. So when you're prioritizing your roadmap, why don't you wait and see what we come up with? And then if you don't like it, you could still build whatever you want to build. Exactly. This is an open source community. You could choose whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. doesn't mean Block One stopped on it, but maybe if they had to make a choice between one thing or the other, well, they, they knew these really talented guys were working on this solution. Definitely. And, and there's nothing nothing stopping any other team from coming out with another scalability solution nope. and saying, hey, we have our own token. We have our own DSPs. Come on over and use ours instead. And I would love to see that Me because too. free market competition is only going to help them all innovate. So maybe we see DAP come out. Maybe a few months from now, we see a DAP competitor. Who knows? But uh, I'm just fascinated to watch. I love, you know, there's a certain feeling you get when you're determining, oh, how much do I need to hedge into DAP token? Do I need to hedge in at all? Obviously, you have the 10% air hodl. If you don't try to claim your tokens for two years, you'll get Mm -hmm. 10% of your EOS in DAP. So that's kind of an automatic hedge for you. But at the same time, even though it's a little frustrating to not know, it's also incredibly exciting to not know, you know, oh. what's going to happen with all this. Is mm-hmm. is Liquid Apps going to enable a Facebook? Is that I... where the value is going to accrue? Are they going to both rise together? We will see. And uh, the unknown is kind of fun sometimes. So the layers, the, the, the theme of this show, and we kind of had a theme going into this because it yeah. just made tied together so well, is removing the layers of friction to, to like, first mainstream adoption within the crypto blockchain community itself and then onwards and outwards like with the tapa talk so what layers of friction are left for developers now so if they were already building so they let's say they got in on the 2016 2017 rush and they started building on ethereum because like you they heard all of the promises and they dove in they did a token sale once you do a token sale there's really no going back you have this commitment yeah I, I, I could guarantee you 99% of the founders and CEOs of these token these token sale projects, they probably wish they never did it. Oh, I'm sure. It's just a regulatory they, headache. There's so many things that come along with it. And in their defense, a lot of people say every ICO was a scam. A lot of them intended to build these products, but they couldn't because Ethereum wouldn't allow them to. Mm-hmm. They're pretty crazy. But there's probably a lot of projects in this situation. They're, they're looking for that, that lifeline and th- this might be it. So we're making it easier for a NEO project or an Ethereum project. And then um, there's actually another project. We actually skipped um, a part. We were going to talk about um, all these other projects that have migrated to EOS. Yeah. We, we totally missed it because of all the other uh, yeah, bullish let's talk. Let's pull up the list. Let's pull up the list, it's, yeah. Uh, and we got to say, this list is not complete. There are so many projects that have either announced their intention to move or have already moved or are supporting ETH in addition to EOS. Th- this episode is just a big welcome yeah. to every blockchain developer and engineer out there. Absolutely. Every blockchain platform you're building on. Come to EOS completely or stay on both platforms. Yeah, might as well. We, we, we just want you to enjoy what we have. Like We are using the EOS blockchain every day. Oh, yeah. It's not like you just have it in a wallet and it's a store of value. We are using it. I used Ethereum every day when I was into Ethereum, but painfully, painfully Mm -hmm. sometimes when you're waiting five minutes for your transaction to to confirm because you didn't put enough gas. So we'll go back pretty far on these projects that have migrated because we we mentioned Everipedia earlier. So at what point did Everipedia decide to switch to EOS? We'll start there. I don't remember, to be honest. So we could roughly <laughs> say last January when the ESVC was announced. Yeah, roughly. That's when but, I, I would say shortly before that, probably. But to their benefit, they never launched an Ethereum token yet. Yep. So 
good job for holding off on that, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Product <laughs> one, 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 one less headache. Yep. Um, Sense. Yep. Um, that's Crystal Rose's project. Um, they've had an Ethereum token for about a year and a half now, I believe. And they actually built a tool that allows a one-way uh, trustless migration of Ethereum tokens to EOS. Yeah. So that's a second big project. Um, Sentinel uh, Protocol. Yep. And they were an Icon project yeah. with an Icon token. Forgot about Icon. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> I, I I didn't get a chance to dive into Sentinel because I, I forgot about them as well. They, they're a bullet point in my note here. Yeah. But they must have moved their Icon token somehow. So there's probably an open source tool there. So we, we talk about this when we're talking about D goods and like standardizing data formats, but like open source is just one big playground for developers because the benefit of open source is everyone doesn't have to solve all the same problems in their own little silos. Yep. If it's solved once, as long as it's open source and it's on GitHub and it worked at one point, it might need debugged, but the bulk of the work is there. Yeah. And that is the beauty of open source. But one of the problems with open source is it's hard to communicate across all of these silos. And I think that's kind of where we've positioned ourselves well within this ecosystem because we we uh, collect information from all of these different silos and we try to share with developers that these tools exist. Yeah. Like if someone was thinking about the DAP network, hopefully they're thinking a little bit more. Um, the EOS Studio is a good example. Uh, a lot more people are using that now. Definitely. But continuing on these projects, do you want to talk about any of these? Yeah, I mean, if you look at Metapedia, what I liked about their quote, they were originally on Ethereum, um, and they said, you know, we're originally based on the Ethereum blockchain ERC-20 standard, uh, but they moved over to EOS because, quote, scalability and transaction speed on the Ethereum network is limited. And uh, I think that's pretty clear mm -hmm. why they moved over. Going on to Tixico, the project said, quote, Ethereum doesn't fulfill our needs and requirements anymore, especially when looking forward to the future developments, and announced they'll be moving to EOS for better performance, scalability, low latency, and no transaction fees. And just so you guys know, since you don't see our notes here, um, Rob's reading off a Google Doc of bullet points I put together. Yeah. I put these quotes together from a blog post, and the blog post was written by Liquid EOS. Interesting. The makers of Liquid It's Daps, all coming the Daps Daps And the article was uh, the great DAP Exodus projects moving to EOS blockchain. It's from like last September. Yeah. And then I updated it with some other more recent projects. So one. What's so interesting about this next one is that EOSBet, I don't think people remember, used to be on Ethereum. It obviously Eastbet. wasn't, yeah, it wasn't called EOSBet at the time, but they were really the first casino to gain, you know, real popularity, real traction on EOS, did a ton of volume in the early days, uh, and they moved over to EOS for the same reasons. Yep. They can confirm and give the result of a transaction effectively instantly, whereas on Ethereum- Five minutes is a year in crypto. Oh, a lot yeah. of people forgot about Especially that. Especially if you're rolling dice, you don't mm -hmm. want to roll the dice and then go, <laughs> all right, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go eat lunch and come back and then maybe I'll have my dice roll. You know, that's going to hurt your volume on that platform. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be good. Yeah, I wonder how uh, what percentage uh, they've increased since migrating over. It's probably such a high percentage. <laughs> From five users just... rolling once a day to <laughs> yeah, exactly. thousands. 100%. Continuing through the list. Yeah, continuing on, we have Haven. Uh, I forget what Haven does. H-A-V-V-E-N. Stable coin, I think. Oh, that's right. They have a stable coin. Moved over to EOS as well. We have Bancor, as you all know, as that sort of... Uh, Interest, it's not even a decentralized exchange. It's almost a way to trade without having a, you know, a buyer on the other end or a seller on the other end. You do it without that necessary liquidity. Um, they have Bancor X now. 
Uh, Wax actually used to be building, I don't know either if it was on Ethereum or a fork of Ethereum, but now they're building on a fork of EOS IO. Uh, not an example directly of the EOS mainnet, but a good mm -hmm. example of how the technology itself, EOS IO, is superior to any of these other projects. Mm -hmm. I'm and also then, not uh, sure on Wax where their token actually lives. I, I, I don't even know. It still lives on ETH. Okay. Right now, I think their network is live, but it's in a, a beta implementation, mm -hmm. and the, the actual token is on Ethereum still, which is kind of interesting. I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, Be interesting to watch. So they, they're another um, really credible team. Uh, the team behind them is a, a company that is the top like skins, like the the designs of what your characters look like in games. They're the top like skin selling company on a Steam stream Steam what? Steam I Steam think, it. Yeah, I, I always get them confused because of Steam it and yeah, Steam. S T E A M. Okay. But they're, I, I forget what the company's called. Yeah. Um, I could put a graphic up or a link. But they're uh, top skins. Op skins. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one's Insights Network. Do you know anything about them? I don't have any uh, notes. Uh, I don't. Let's pull up their website. So it looks like Insights Network is doing something with data, according to their website. Um, but it, it looks like they're building on EOS as well. So that's exciting. This is one that I think, maybe this was around the time that the, the mainnet main was launching. There were a couple announcements. And I think Insights this, was one of them. This is one of the older ones that I forgot about again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so many there are so many things happening in EOS. It's like a full time job to keep track mm -hmm. of it now. That's kind of wild. I mean, just looking at their blog headlines, I'm not even going to read them because we're recording. But th they're calling it the Instar blockchain, so maybe it's a fork of EOS. I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's a lot of projects. So we all, we want them to all come to the main net. Yes. But the fact that they're they're forking it and using it because it's great base layer technology. That's that's good too. Um, and hopefully, eventually, we'll have IBC and we can just all be one big hub and spoke model. Yeah. And, um, well, and I think, you know, to your point earlier about once you make a token, it's kind of too late. I think a lot of these people, Wax specifically, only launched a fork. You know, they say there were certain things they couldn't build. You could really build that in a smart contract if you wanted to, honestly. Maybe <laughs> Isn't that the case with time. a lot of forks? That's the case with pretty much every fork. Other than KYC on Warbly, yes, you can KYC on EOS, but you mm -hmm. can't make it mandatory by default. Well, Nobody we, wants we, that. What about our speculative speculation? When, when, when Civic on EOS? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Come on, Vinny. <laughs> Come on. Where is it? We need it. But uh, there's so much happening. I mean, even beyond the projects that have announced move over, there are more that, that we don't even have on this list. There's a spreadsheet floating around somewhere in the community that, that has more. Um, but if we look at other things happening from existing projects, ITM Games is joining the D-Goods Initiative. Another ITM big, Games. big game company. They, yeah. I think they announced a while ago they're going to put out at least 20, 20 games on EOS. And they're like a traditional game company, yeah. so this isn't their first games either. Oh, yeah. And they, they put out some nice trailers, too. Yeah, and there was confusion because they call it the ITM network. People thought, oh, is this a fork? Turns out they are building on the EOS mainnet, all 20-plus games launching on the mainnet. Very, very Ooh. exciting. So the theme of this show has been welcome to EOS. You, you mentioned the uh, D-Goods initiative, another team, another major game team, yeah. uh, ITM Games, joining that initiative. Um, I think you should you, – you mentioned um, that you take these co uh, these calls from these yeah. projects all the time. I think you should look at the camera and offer an open invite to any project who's even considering yeah. coming to EOS. And I think you should lead the charge here on opening up this conversation. Yeah, if you're somebody out there, if you're a developer, you've been building on Ethereum, you've been building on NEO, maybe you haven't started building on any platform yet, and you're looking at building on EOS, please send me a message on Telegram at Finchify, F-I-N-C-H-I-F-Y, or even better, shoot me an email, rob at cypherglass.com, C-Y-P-H-E-R, glass.com. Um, and we'll take a look. We'll schedule a 30-minute or an hour call, talk about your project, talk 
about how EOS could actually help you deliver that project to your users and deliver it in a way that makes sense and offers a good user experience. So please reach out. I would uh, love to help. Like I've helped so many other projects that are now sort of building in stealth on EOS. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a decision that a project's going to make overnight. We just want to make sure everyone has all the information. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there. If, if you only uh, followed like Cointelegraph, you'd think EOS is a big giant scam and insecure and <laughs> not a blockchain. Yeah. But that's not the case. We, we just want to facilitate real conversations and set a realistic long-term roadmap of how you could possibly come to EOS, whether completely or in part, like, like we talked about the Kyber network. Yeah. I think there's never been a better time than now because it's still early for everyone. Um, resource costs are going to go up eventually. I mean, we're still in a, a, a mode and an early version of the network where it's still very much an ownership model. Oh, definitely. But over time, I mean, it could be 10 years, five years. It's a long-term roadmap here, but the longer anyone waits, the more of a rental model this is going to become. And yeah. the early adopters like us are going to be the, the uh, landlords. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Absolutely. So there's so many good teams building on it. And a lot of those good teams have experience on the other blockchains. So uh, you talk to me, you talk to Rob. We might not have the answers, but guess what? We're friends with other teams that came here from Ethereum. Yeah. Rob, Rob's going to be uh, talking to the Effect AI guys. They'll be talking about the, their pain points on Neo. And then yeah. if a Neo project's running into the same pain points, Rob's like, this guy, I've heard this before. Absolutely. Like, Here's how this guy solved the problems. Come. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I, I think we're going to see more of this. I think... Do you think we're going to eventually see like a tipping point where it's going to be like it's just like an avalanche of projects? I think so. And I think we're getting close to it. I mean, what we've seen over the last even week of news with the stuff that we've covered, yes. of new projects coming of all. It seems like we're really close to that where all of a sudden it's going to be like, hey, by the way, you remember us, Augur over here, this project? You remember, uh, you remember Golem over here? Ooh. You remember so many of these projects that seem to have just died because they can't scale on Ethereum. They're going to kind of be brought back to life, I think, by switching to EOS. So if not, they'll be replaced by a competitor like Everpedia's prediction market. But it's going to be crazy to watch. All right. So we're, we're at the end of our notes. Do you have anything else that uh, you think is important for the people? I think this might be a two-parter. I don't know how yeah. long the audio is going to be. Just as a quick reminder, maybe by the time you're watching this, we're in the top 21. Maybe we're not. But uh, please go out, refresh your vote for Cypherglass or vote for one of the awesome proxies. Brock Pierce 1 is a great proxy that uh, Zach over here votes for. So please get out the vote. We're so close <laughs> and our infrastructure is ready to produce blocks. We appreciate all the support you've given us so far. So thank you. All right, everyone. Uh, we'll see you guys again next week. We really hope you enjoyed this special in-person episode. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Definitely. Um, we have plans to do stuff like this at potentially future conferences. Yeah. If anyone would want to invite us as media partners, yeah. uh, we'd be glad to do uh, live stuff like this with other founders and block producers, things like that. That's actually what I wanted to do at the event you're going to be at in uh, New York oh, yeah. with Galaxy, which is going to be... Um, in the past by the time you watch this video. Yeah, we'll talk about it on uh, next week's episode when you watch it. We'll, we'll tell you all about it. So it should be a good event. But yeah, I, would, I wanted to go. Unfortunately, I couldn't, but I wanted to go just to do stuff like this. I would have loved in my hotel room to get two really good podcasts with some people that I don't have the opportunity to be around in, in person. Yeah. Because I, I miss this stuff. And I hope I hope everyone watching enjoyed this. I will do it again sometime in the next couple months. Um, but uh, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is... Everything, Everything EOS. EOS. Go EOS. <laughs> <laughs> that was good.